You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. Kids now can make their way. And while they're doing that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. To the book of James. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I've titled this message today, Don't Go Tyson on Me. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Don't Go Tyson on Me. And I'll explain that in a moment. I think it's Russell laughing back there because he probably knows where I'm going with that. Don't go Tyson on me. And I'm referring to Mike Tyson, heavyweight champion, one of the great boxers in boxing history. James chapter 4, beginning at what, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Guide me there, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Let me be a tool in your hand. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first fight? I mean, uh, I'm I'm not talking about watching Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali or a boxing match. I'm talking about when you personally got into a fight that resulted in a physical altercation in which you just basically, you pulled the gloves off and and you lost it in that moment and it became very personal to you. Franklin Roosevelt said this. He said, there is nothing I love as much as a good fight. Is that you? You know, at the risk of angering you, maybe getting you angry, uh, you know, professional wrestling sometimes i like to cut it on just uh you know i know it's show you may think it's different but it, you know uh when i'm hitting a guy and stomping my foot <laughs> i mean you know there's just certain things but i still kind of like to watch it because every once in a while you think maybe they get a, a little angry you know games whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NFL, we watch games because sometimes it breaks out into a fight and immediately we're drawn into it. You know, there, maybe Franklin Roosevelt is like, there's nothing I love as much as a good fight. David Jeremiah said this about this passage. He said, fighting is something that comes to us naturally. Why? Because we're born each, because we're each born with a scrappy nature that prefers going for the juggler to giving up. And in the Greek here, it's interesting, quarrels is the general term for war, and conflicts refer to individual fights or battles. 
Now, there's only two points to this sermon. First of all, James is going to talk about the root cause of conflict. You know, one of the things that I've seen in James, and I've told Sheila, one of the things I've seen and I love is the similarity between Jesus and James. When Jesus was confronted with people that were trying to stump him or confuse him or attack him, Jesus, they would pose a question, what would Jesus often do? He would respond with a question. It's one of the easiest, most simple tools in apologetics. When somebody is trying to put you on the defense by asking you a question, for a moment, stop and look at them and say, well, what do you think? You've now reversed it. You're no longer on the defensive. You're on the offense. They're on the defense. Now they're having to ask or answer their own question. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, people say all the time, you know, I just get on the defensive. And when I get on the defensive, my mind gets cluttered. I get confused. I, 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 I think about all the things I wanted to say later. Listen, it's real simple. If somebody asks you a question because they're attacking you or putting you on the defensive, all you've got to do is remember, pray, and look back and say, smile, as Sheila just did toward me. Just smile and say, well, what do you think? How would you answer that question? Buddy, you have flipped the table in a matter of a moment. Jesus was a master of it, but look at James. In James chapter 4, verse 1, what does James do? What causes fights and quarrels among you? He starts with a question. The Amplified Bible says this, What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your, in the Amplified Bible, the word hedonistic? What does that mean, hedonistic? It means to be engaged in the pursuit of pleasure or sensually self-indulgent. So what he's saying here, do they not come from your hedonistic your desires that are waging war in your bodily members. Now listen to what the Amplified Bible says. Fighting for control over you. Everybody put your spiritual antennas up real high. Because this is important. We are either filled with God's Holy Spirit or we're filled with whatever that carnal, fleshly nature is bringing up in us. Does that make sense? In other words, I wrote this down. We are either filled with the Holy Spirit, or we are filled with whatever remains of our carnal, fleshly nature. Let me give you an example. The Greek word filled is plurao. And plurao, that Greek word means this. It's the picture. Sheila and I would see this many times in England. Those big clipper ships that would sometimes leave the harbor, and when they'd go out, and you've seen this, sail boats, when they raise those sails, all of a sudden that wind hits, and it just bellows and explodes that sail out. And when it does, you'll see that vessel just jerk. And all of a sudden it begins to move in the direction. Plurao, that idea of being filled with God's Holy Spirit is you and I are so filled with God's Holy Spirit that, that we're holding up the winds of the cell of our faith and He fills us and we start moving in the direction that God wants us to go. That's what it means. 
But what's the problem here? The problem is, is that sometimes our flesh, our carnal nature, is filled. In other words, the carnal fleshly nature all of a sudden is filling the sails and, and we're moving in a direction the opposite of what God would have us to go. Listen, when your flesh, that carnal nature, takes over, you and I have the potential of moving our lives outside the will of God because now the flesh is making the decisions. Is that, is that, you know, I, I disciple, I've, di- I've just started discipling a group, group of men um, each week. And the question is posed all the time by men who battle with anger. And some of these men are men's men. One of them in particular is a retired full, full bird colonel, special forces, led the campaigns in some of our, some of our critical military operations. But the question is always posed, is anger sin? How would you answer that? What? Oh, you didn't listen a moment ago at the beginning. First of all, you're supposed to go, well, what do you think? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. My daughter-in-law back there, believe you me, she can, she can stand toe-to-toe with any theologian. And, and if I think I heard her correctly, she's exactly right. Anger is not a sin. The Bible says be angry. Did you know some things ought to make you angry? If you, see, if you see a man pop a little three-year-old child in Walmart and slap that child about two somersaults backwards, you better get angry. If you don't, you're saying something about who you are. You see, the Bible says be angry and what? And sin not, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So anger can be a good thing, but when does anger become a sin? Now everybody listen. When your anger takes control from the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're so filled with anger that instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit and reacting in a Christ-like way, you're filled with anger and you explode in that carnal fleshly nature and you move your life outside the will of God. Now everybody listen, and you do unbelievable damage to the testimony of Christ. Does that make sense? Your spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil, Diabolos, Lucifer, the light bearer, Satan. Satan is seeking to take control away from the Holy Spirit and manipulate you to the point that you're operating in your carnal, fleshly nature. Listen to what Ephesians 5.18 says. You don't have to turn there. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, listen, all of you know it. Be not drunk with wine... What does that mean? When somebody's drunk, you can tell it by the way they talk, you can tell it by the way they walk, you can tell it by their attitude, everything about them. You don't need somebody, you don't need somebody to come up to you and say, I just want to tell you I'm drunk. In most cases, you look at them and say, Well, I knew that. Because I can tell by the way you're slurring your words, I can tell by the way you're walking, can't walk a straight line. You see, alcohol when you're drunk with wine you've taken you know i had a man ask me this week is drinking wrong i said drunkenness is wrong you may say well what do you mean by that well paul told timothy take a little wine for his stomach ailment so i don't know a teetotaler i don't know if i can agree with the teetotaler if paul said that The Bible says, be not drunk with wine. What does that mean? That means exactly like anger in every carnal, fleshly part of us. 
We have a treasure. It's in an earthen vessel. When you and I, that plurao, that plurao, that Holy Spirit that feels the winds of our faith and we're in the will of God, moving in the direction that God has for our life. But listen, if anger, if alcohol, if drugs, if pornography begins to fill our life, then listen, we're going to move in a way that's outside God's will. We're going to damage our testimony and our witness. Listen to what the Amplified Bible says here, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine under the control of, and basically how a person talks, how they act, how they behave, but be filled under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? Somebody says, well, is anger wrong? If anger is controlling you more than the Holy Spirit, it's a sin. Is drinking wrong? If drunkenness, if alcohol is controlling you more than the Holy Spirit, it's sin. And you may say, well, I can handle my alcohol. Well, I can't, and most of the people around you that probably can't either, so you may be better off just not to do it at all. And if you're a parent, you need to understand this. You put a beer in your refrigerator, your kids are simply interpreting that as, this is all right, I can do it too. And you may find yourself, true story, where a man went to the scene of a 16-year-old daughter who on her birthday turned 16, had never drank a spot of alcohol, who went and and, uh, got out with her friends. They were drunk, they wrecked, and there's her body covered with a sheet in the middle of the highway. Husband and mom and dad get to the scene, they get there, and they're just brokenhearted. She reeks of whiskey and alcohol. He turns to all of her buddies, and he said, Who gave her alcohol? And they said, we don't know. We don't know where she got it. Later on, after the arrangements had been made, he went home that night. His wife went upstairs. He could hear her crying in the distance. He went over to the cabinet. He leaned down to get that bottle of whiskey to pour himself a drink in some attempt to calm and soothe his nerves. And when he did, there was a card in there. said, Dear Dad, I knew today on my 16th birthday you wouldn't mind this one time if I took a bottle of liquor and celebrated with my friends. My friend, realize that you may be able to handle something somebody else may not be able to handle at all. So what does James say here? He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Question. He said, don't they come? He's still asking questions. He's not led He's like a lawyer here. I mean, you know, he's, in, he's interrogating a little bit. Molly, he's just, he's pressing the point like a lawyer would. He's saying, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Isn't that true? One writer interpreted this. He said, don't they fights and quarrels come from your desires that battle within you? Desires is a neutral term. The word desire can be good or bad. Swindoll said this, but when our desires, good or bad, go unmet, our frustration mounts, and eventually we erupt in conflict. Willard Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, with about 80,000 men and women polled, I'll be doing a marriage retreat for uh, First Baptist Union in October. Willard Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage, polled tens of thousands of men and women. 
to find out what the five basic needs of a man, what the five basic needs of a woman were. The number one need of a man was sexual fulfillment. Number one need of a woman was affection, but down that list was family commitment. So I wrote this down. Sex is man's critical need. Man's got a habit. Okay, Uh, a woman, her needs are a little bit more varied. Yeah, it's affection, but it's also family commitment. She wants her husband to be involved in in the raising of children. Now, husbands want sex. Since we set the kids off, I can be as honest as I want to be. And let me tell you, when a man's need is not met for sexual fulfillment, he gets angry, he gets frustrated, he becomes irritable if he's denied. But in the same frame of reference, a wife who's doing all the parenting, she's carrying the kids to school, she's picking up the kids, she's going to the ball games, she's going to dance, she's wearing all these hats taking care of the, child, uh, of the children and of a child. The reality is she wants her husband involved, plugged in, engaged, a part of that, helping. And you see what happens to both of them, they're polarizing. You know what's happening? They're angry. He wants sex, he wants fulfillment, and she says, no, buddy, you ain't getting none of it. At the same time, she's over there screaming and hollering, wearing all the hats that a parent is required, and begging him to be involved in helping her in raising of the children, and she's getting more angry by the moment. And what happens? They polarize. Why? Because now plurao, anger, is now controlling that marriage. Why? Because they both have needs. Those needs are not being met, and they're getting angry. And you may say, well, how do you fix that? Well, Jesus said, first of all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Well, I'm not about to do that. I try to raise these kids. He's never involved. Isn't that true? You know, the reality is, is that look what James goes on to say here in verse 2. He said, you want something, but you don't get it. And that's the way it is. Sometimes a man wants sex, he can't get it in marriage. His wife's angry with him. She's polarized against him. Sometimes a woman wants a husband to step up and be responsible, and he doesn't do that. And so what happens is, as one writer said, three specific effects of unmet desires, remember good or bad. We, be, we are unchecked and we become combative in our attitude. Jesus said we get so mad we want to kill somebody. I mean, he brings up murder. He said you want something but don't get it, so what do you do? Look at what he says. You kill. Wow. You kill, you hurt. How do you do that? Everybody look this way. You kill with that. You may not decapitate your husband, but you'll shred him to pieces and steal every bit of masculinity and ego that he has. You'll make him feel less than a man. And it goes both ways. We'll use our mouth to hurt and wound. That's what we do. You know, Sheila and I wasn't going to bring it up, but we went to meet a family member while we were on vacation. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we had gotten cleaned up, bathed, deodorant, 
cologne, perfume. And we got there and we walked up to this family member and they go, whoa, whoa, it's all those smells. I wanted to go, look, honey, you ain't got to worry about it. I won't get near you again. Because in that moment, she leans more left than we. In that moment, she hurt my feelings. You know, you can hold whatever political view you want, whatever ideology that you want. Well, you can hug trees and be woke all you want. But let me tell you, you never have a right to be unkind, unchristlike, or even if you're, un- if you're not a Christian, at least show good manners. Hey, I was all right until uh, she did that to Sheila. Ooh! Oh, smells in a public place. And then I was really getting mad. Well, it mold, it, I just mulled over. I mean, when we left, I was irritated. I told Sheila what I thought, what I wanted to do. Boy, I was just going at it. And then I realized that I was becoming so angry that that anger in my mind coming out of my mouth was becoming, was controlling my life. I wasn't filled with God's Holy Spirit. I was filled with anger. So let's talk about Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, 25 years ago in a fight, so it's been 25 years ago, Mike Tyson in a fight 25 years ago for the heavyweight championship bit off Evander Holyfield's ear, which never grew back. I remember that fight. I wasn't a Mike Tyson fan. I wanted somebody to beat him, put him in his place. Both of these men are African-American, had nothing to do with color. But Evander Holyfield was a godly Christian man. And so I thought, man, it'd be great to see this godly Christian man finally take on this brute and beat him. But I didn't think Evander Holyfield could do it. And at one point in the, in the boxing match, Mike Tyson bit off a portion of Evander Holyfield's ear. Let me tell you what happened after that. Tyson's boxing license, license was revoked by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. He was fined $3 million. 25 years ago, that's a lot of money. In 2009, I was reading this. In 2009, Mike Tyson appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Oprah confronted Tyson with that episode and asked, why and was your apology after the fight genuine? Tyson, Mike Tyson said to Oprah Winfrey, he said, Holyfield, Evander Holyfield was a better boxer. And at the time, he was a better boxer, so I sought to get the upper hand. Mike Tyson expressed remorse, wished he had set the record straight, and about that time on Oprah Winfrey, out came Evander Holyfield. Holyfield walked out onto the set, and healing began to take place because Evander Holyfield's a Christian. He forgave Mike Tyson. They embraced and became friends. Now, everybody listen. But Mike Tyson had to look at the scarred remains 
of an ear that was no longer there, that was not replaced, and to be faced constantly with the picture of how far an emotion, a carnal fleshly emotion, took control of him and caused him to do something. Yes, they were restored, but I wrote down here, but the ear never grew back. The cost is still there. The scars are still real and raw and noticeable forever. And I wrote down here, to your spouse, your children, your friends, you can destroy somebody with your words and you may find one day forgiveness and healing from that person, but they will carry the scars to their grave. Have you noticed how much James talks about the tongue and words? I light a match, I blow it out, and it travels for 186,000 miles a second for, listen, for eternity. It's gone. Its light is never extinguished. Do you know, the, you know what a Jew thought of the word? Every word that I'm pronouncing right now is being registered, recorded. It's like energy going out. Just like light. And God has the ability to take all of the summation of everything that we've ever said, everything we've ever thought, and bring it to the royal council of his judgment. And it is only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are not held accountable. But you know what he goes on to say here? Listen to this. This is so important. I wrote down too many children today are growing up in violent homes. In times where their parents become violent adults and they fail to model before their children conflict resolution and the abused become the abuser. And you know what's worse here? Watch what James says. He said, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight and you do not have. Now watch this. You know what James said? He said, because you do not what? Ask God. Everybody listen. When our carnal fleshly nature takes over and we're filled with anger or whatever it may be, whatever emotion it is, here we are, plurao. We lift the, uh, the, the cells of our faith. They, they fill our life and we're filled under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what that word means. We are moving in the direction that God wants us to go. We are achieving God's will and purpose and plan for our life. And then all of a sudden on this journey of uh, hagiosmos, this sanctification in the Greek, all of a sudden we, we find a, a, something else coming up in us. It's a carnal, fleshly something that takes place. And, and all of a sudden we become angry and angry takes so you know where the idea of being beside yourself comes from? It comes from that thought right there. To be beside yourself is to be so filled with anger that the Holy Spirit steps out and says, I'm out, man, I, it's too hot in there. But James says if it couldn't get worse, it does because what happens is we get so angry so filled, whatever that carnal fleshly thing that's creeping up in us, it could be sex, promiscuity, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be anger, whatever it is, it begins to take over, and all of a sudden we do this. 
And that carnal fleshly nature moves us away from God's plan, His purpose, His will for our life. We're getting farther and farther away from God. We're getting out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we are sowing seed that we will soon have to reap. When His anger becomes sin, when it takes over. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said there are three wars here. There's a war with each other. There's a war with ourselves. And there's a war with God. You know, I don't need to look at my time here. And we're out of time. Sheila and I, since I've been vulnerable, and I'll close with this. Sheila and I were having an argument one day and um, a long time back. I told you a funny story of when we first got married. Uh, I, 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 I wasn't saved. I operated on the carnal, the flesh. I was just, I had, a, I had a bad temper, a violent temper. I could get, I've never laid a hand on her, but I could get angry. And one day, early in our marriage, even before the kids were born, I blew up. I got angry. We were at Mississippi State. I don't even know what it was about. She went out, and I've told you this. She was going out, and we had an old, my father-in-law's old 62 Chevrolet truck, blue truck. She went out there, and she got into it. But you, you have to, it's, it's hard to get into gear. It's a standard and she couldn't get it into gear, and I could hear her grinding it. I loved that truck. So I finally went out there. I picked the hood up, and I got in there, and I said, try it. Now, she's leaving me. I said, try it now. And I probably said it a lot worse than that. Try it now. We're out there in front of an apartment complex at Mississippi State. She gets it into gear, and I put down the hood, and I walk, and I get on the other side. And I'm broken and repentant. I say, I'm sorry. She looked at me. First of all, she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm running away with you. And we're going on 46 years of marriage. But there was a time in our life when we were having an argument, and it was an argument that could literally destroyed, could have destroyed our family. And in that moment, she, she went out, of where I was, she went back into, went to a bedroom, and she just sat down, and she was crying. And I walked in there where she was, and God said to me, you are devouring each other, and you better stop. In other words, you are destroying each other in these arguments and you've got to stop that my friend may you and I understand something that what happens when plarao that filling when that filling is of the Holy Spirit there's a joy peace there's the presence there's the power there's all the benefits of the Holy Spirit 
but when you and I quench and grieve the Holy Spirit and that old carnal fleshly nature takes over and all of a sudden now we're controlled by anger or we're controlled by lust and sexual promiscuity or we're controlled by alcohol or by drugs or whatever, we are wrestling the control of our life from the Holy Spirit and we're putting it in the control of that carnal fleshly nature and in that moment we're moving out of God's will and we're doing things that are going to damage us, damage others, and we'll carry an unbelievable crop. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, this passage is so relevant to every one of us, Lord, and how often do we wrestle with this old carnal fleshly nature even though we are Christians filled with your Holy Spirit. James wasn't writing to non-Christians. He wasn't writing to people who were not Christian or members of church. He was writing to the body of Christ here. Paul wasn't writing when he wrote to Corinth about carnality and walking in the flesh to uh, non-believers. In fact, he called them saints. And may we realize that sometimes the enemy's ability to bring doubt as to our salvation is rooted in the fact that we don't understand that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of ourselves. We're never going to be good enough for God. We could blow a gasket and blow the top of our heads off with anger. We could live our life in sexual promiscuity and disobedience, drugs and alcohol. That, whether we live a perfect life or what we deem to be a perfect life, and yet have not Christ, we have nothing. It is by grace alone that we're saved, through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of anything that we can do so. Lord, I pray that people understand that. But as believers, what can happen to us? That old sin nature begins to creep back up. Old habits begin to come into our life. Before long, we're beginning to do things that we used to do before we got saved. And the enemy's laughing and smiling. The Holy Spirit is losing power in our life. We're quenching and grieving. God begins to weep within us. God is weeping in us. The Holy Spirit is now crying inside of us. And that's conviction. And oh yes, we're sinning. But boy, it hurts. And so we find ourselves falling on our knees in homo legeo. In the Greek, we're confessing and saying, God, forgive me, cleanse me. And we say it a thousand times. We keep getting up and we keep moving forward. But may we recognize it quicker. When we're filled with anger, may a moment the Holy Spirit say, you're dangerous, you're dangerously close here. Stop. We find ourselves looking at something, flirting in a relationship, whatever it may be, and the Holy Spirit is screaming inside of us, stop. Stop. Lest you be controlled by this, stop. Don't take control away from me. God, speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there's a man or a woman 
boy or girl today who's not saved, that they would be saved today, that they would come, give their life to Christ, and begin to understand what it means to be filled and under the control of God, your precious, sweet Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the Bible said. Jesus said, I'll come to live in you, and I'll fellowship with you. And boy, it is so good and so much fun. And even when we mess up and we mistakenly do things that grieve your heart, you're a loving parent who comes and says, let's sit down. Let me tell you why this is wrong. Let me tell you why this hurts. God, do a great thing today in this invitation. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. If you wish to be saved, you come. I'll speak to you. Sheila will talk with you. If you need to pray at the altar, you come. If you want to pray with somebody, you come. There are people all around you that will gather and pray with you. You come.